The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. So we are in a series called Dysfunctional Families. And we've been looking at different families through the line of Abraham that go all the way to Jesus and how God used these individuals, men and women, as broken as they were in broken situations that they were in. And yet through them, he drew them closer to him and he used them to bring about Jesus, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate Savior. And today, as we were talking about in our pregame show, we're looking at David, who was one of my personal favorite Bible characters. Enough so that it is true. I actually wrote a book based off of the David story. It's fascinating, right? Because it starts off the shepherd who ends up becoming a warrior, who ends up being exiled, who then eventually becomes king, right? It literally is the stuff of Hollywood magic. So many of our modern tales, our our modern stories come from, are derivative from the David story. But to truly understand the David story, you have to understand the historical context that Israel was in at this time. See, God had created the nation of Israel, and he said, here's the deal. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to trust me, and I'm going to provide for you. And so unlike all the other countries around them that had kings or pharaohs or queens, God said, we're not going to set up that kind of system here. There's not going to be a hierarchy. God said, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to protect you. You're going to trust in me. And in trusting in me, we're going to get through this together. And so it's set up that way. But the people are looking around at all the other countries around them. And they keep on saying, but we want a king. We want to be like them. Yeah, God, we know you have a plan. And we're cool with you being our God. But we want you to be our God. And we also want to have a king like everyone else. This goes on for generations, and God keeps on telling them, guys, if I put a human in charge of you, that human will eventually oppress you. That human will eventually stop you, will get in the way of our relationship. But again and again and again, they're like, but we want a king. We hear you, but. And I can't tell you how often in my life that's how my relationship with God is. I hear you, God. You want me to do this, but I also need this other thing as well. And even if I get that other thing, it doesn't end up making me happy. In fact, most often than not, that but, anything that comes after that, ends up taking me away from not only God, but life and joy and peace and all the things that God is trying to give me as his child. 
But God eventually relents, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you a king. And the first king that he chooses, and this is one of the funniest moments in the Bible, he chooses the tallest man in Israel, right? He literally says, okay, let's find the one who looks the most like a quote-unquote king, the big guy on campus. And that was a guy named Saul. And so God chooses Saul as the first king, and they're like, yes, this is what we want. This is going to be the king that's going to lead us like all the other nations. And go figure, picking out the tallest guy was not the right criteria for a leader, right? Saul did his best, and he did work on behalf of the people, but it became really quickly clear he was not up for the challenge. Because while he did fight for the people, while he did believe in God, Saul eventually started to rebel against God. And so God says, all right, this is not going to be the long-term solution, king. We're going to do something different. And so Saul anoints David. And David wasn't the tallest guy in the room. David didn't come from the right family. In fact, David was the youngest of his family from a family that was kind of just small and insignificant in Israel. And yet God says something about David. He says, this is a man after my own heart. Only time in scripture that phraseology is used. That David was passionate about who God was and what God was doing for his people. And he believed in that God. And so as you go through the stories of David, David versus Goliath, David becoming this warrior, this champion for the people of God, defending them, protecting them, there is this common refrain whenever David goes into battle. He says, if the Lord is with me, if the Lord is sending me here, we're going to be okay. That's what he says when he goes up against Goliath and everyone's like, dude, have you seen that guy? He's even taller than King Saul. He's more powerful than King Saul. And David looks out and he goes, but he's not more powerful than my God. And so you have the story of David, but David has this best friend. And again, this is a unique aspect of the David story. But Jonathan, Saul's oldest son, is also a war hero. In fact, before David comes on the scene, there is this part of scripture where Jonathan and his armor bearer are looking at an outpost of Philistines, so the bad guys in the story. And he looks at this outpost and he says, you know what, if God is for us, we can take this ground. The Philistines up until that point had been absolutely dominating Israel. And Jonathan looks out and he says, you know what, I, if God is with us, we can do this. And so he takes his armor bearer and they end up defeating and routing the Philistines and the whole army mobilizes behind them and they start driving the Philistines back. Jonathan was a war hero. David was a war hero. But eventually what happened was that first king, King Saul, who's still in charge at that point, he starts to hear something. The people start singing a song. And the song goes like this, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. Saul sees this boy, this young man, who's getting more recollection, more pride, more everything than him. And he sees it as a threat. And so Saul starts trying to have David killed, using different ways, sending him off to war. Eventually, he gets so upset, he just starts throwing spears at him, right? He gets angry. And Jonathan, his best friend, is watching his dad do this. 
And Jonathan knows David hasn't done anything wrong. David has always been fighting for Israel. He has always been fighting for the king. He's always been fighting for God, just like Jonathan is. And yet he realizes that even though David did everything right, he's going to have to flee. He's going to be exiled. And for the next decade, David ends up literally on the run, hiding from Saul, hiding from the Israel army that's hunting him down, and actually living with the Philistines, living with the people that he had spent the first part of his life fighting against. Now David is exiled to them, exiled away from God's kingdom. There's a brokenness there, and it shatters one of the myths of the Christian church. There is a myth that if you just do the right thing, God will bless you. God will take care of everything for you, and you will have no hardship. But when you look through the story of David, when you look through the story of Joseph or Abraham, that's not true. Sometimes doing the right thing, there's punishment for it. The world sees righteousness. The world sees something good, and we get ostracized for it. We get exiled for it. We pay a punishment for following God in that moment, and that's what happened to David. Now, that's not the end of the story. God was still working for David. God was still working through David to do something beautiful, to do something powerful. But in our own lives, all of us have to wrestle with that, that there's hurt in this world, that there's brokenness in this world. And sometimes when we do the right thing, we end up taking it on the chin. We end up falling flat on our back, not because of our own actions, but because we live in a broken world, a hurting world. And what we find about a hurting world is hurting people hurt people. And so sometimes when we go in to be God's ambassadors of love and grace and protection, the reaction from the world isn't one of accepting that or welcoming that, but they end up flailing and we just start taking it. That's what happened to David. It was funny, you know, Lexi and I were talking uh, earlier about our favorite Bible characters, and one of the things that she had mentioned was how quickly they get back up again, right? They get punched in the nose, but then they jump back up and they keep believing in God, which is true. And yet, when we're reading through Scripture, sometimes there's only a sentence or two in between something really horrible happening and them getting back up and trusting in God. And so it can look like, wow, that's like a light switch for them. They went from, you know, on their back to back in the army immediately. And that, that's not real life. In fact, one of the cool things about Scripture, the cool things about the David story is that we don't just have his narrative, but we also have his writings. See, David wrote a bunch of the Psalms, which is poetry, which are songs to God about how he feels about what's happening. And some of them are joyful some of them are like the songs that we sing in church where we're like, yeah, our God is awesome and he's fighting for us and he loves us. And sometimes they're a lot more raw than that. Psalm 22 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one uh, Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out and they were saved. 
in you they trusted and they were not put to shame. Does that sound familiar to you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, because one of David's ancestors cried that out as well. Jesus, the personification of grace and truth and love, the one who came to abolish all oppression, all the division, the one who came and loved unconditionally, who did all the right things, he too was exiled and betrayed. He too took it on the chin. And even Jesus had an emotional reaction to the brokenness of this world. He goes to the cross and he quotes his ancestor David, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of us have moments in our faith journey where we're trying to do the right thing and it goes wrong so badly. And what we find in this story of David is that even when it goes wrong, even when we've been betrayed, that we have a God who says, I love you, and it's okay to be broken. But the beautiful thing is, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in David's pain. It doesn't end in Jesus' pain. Right? David says, those who have trusted in you were delivered before, and so I'm going to hold on to my trust here. Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me finishes by saying, it is finished. And God uses that broken situation, that tragic situation, him on the cross, wrongfully accused, wrongfully murdered, to restore and redeem all of us. Because the story of our God, yes, includes times where we don't know why things are happening, why the hurt is happening. But it also includes a God who says, but I will use any broken situation to redeem and restore and bring about good for you and for the entire world. God doesn't waste any movements. He doesn't waste any experience. But instead, he specializes in redeeming those experiences and using the brokenness of the world to do something beautiful for you, but not just for you. Because David, it wasn't about him. David was always fighting for someone else. Jesus, it wasn't about him. Jesus was always fighting for someone else. Church, in this season, where the world is literally tearing itself apart, where our country is coming apart at the seams, and people are crying out, my God, my God, are you here? God answers yes. And he says, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to be in anguish. It's okay not to be okay. And yet, I give you my hope. I give you my promise that there is something better. That you don't have to go back to that thing anymore. But as Isaiah says, I am doing a new thing. I am creating new hearts. New minds, a new kingdom, a place where God reigns and his people come together and they are ambassadors of reconciliation, ambassadors of his love, ambassadors of a Jesus and a Messiah who went to extreme lengths to have a relationship with us and to connect us back together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you thankful for stories like David thankful for the fact that even when we don't understand what's happening, you don't condemn us, 
you don't separate yourself from us. Lord, that you still wrap your arms around us with the promise that you specialize in delivering us and this world from broken situations. Lord, that our ancestors who trusted in you were not put to shame. That Jesus, when he trusted in you, was not put to shame. And so, Father, Lord, we will trust in you and trust that we will not be put to shame as well. Lord God, we pray that you continue to work through us and with us. Lord God, a people that is still wrestling with what it looks like to follow you. Lord, we come before you now in confession, using the words of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to the great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Lord, all of us stand before you guilty of sin. All of us are part of the problem that's happening in this world today. Lord, whether it is through our actions or our inactions, whether it's through how we speak to one another, how we treat one another, Lord, we are not been good humans to other humans. Lord, and that's ultimately what's breaking apart this world right now. We forgot what it was meant to be human. To be agents of your grace and your truth. And so we come before you now confessing our sin. But bold to confess because you promised to forgive us Psalm 51 continues, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Father, Lord, we are forgiven because of Jesus. But we are forgiven with a purpose. To be better agents of your love and your grace. To advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. To be good listeners. Lord, to believe that what you're calling us to is more than our own personal journey, but Lord, you are calling us to be good neighbors. Lord, to defend and protect this world. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.